My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is a Sunday Scaries podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. Longtime listeners of this podcast know that routine plays a major part in ensuring that I have a relaxing Sunday. After waking up and making a cup of coffee, more often than not, I head straight to my couch to watch some soccer. That is, unless it's race week. Whether it's Saturday's practice and qualifying or Sunday's Grand Prix, F1 has become a major part of a lot of people's weekend routines over the last few years. As a longtime F1 fan myself, it's something I've rarely discussed on this show. That is, until today. Introducing today's guest, a former colleague of mine, a current friend, and somehow the most knowledgeable person I know when it comes to F1, ladies and gentlemen, Jared Borislow of Formula Bone. Jared, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming. I feel like Formula One and Sundays go perfectly together considering that's the day it's on. So happy I mean, to be here. That usually, yeah, that, that signifies that they go pretty well together. Jared, here's the, here's the begging question. How and why did you get so into F1 in the first place? Yeah, I think the reason that you are so surprised I'm the most knowledgeable person you know about <laughs> F1 is because I literally did not get into it until last year. I mean, I think a lot of people did not get into it until F1's uh, Drive to Survive series on Netflix, and I think that's totally understandable. How did you go from being a casual F1 viewer to being now like making a living off of just covering F1? Yeah, it's pretty crazy because, like you said, I got into Formula One from Netflix's Drive to Survive, like pretty much everybody that people know nowadays who got into Formula One. And I would have never thought I would actually like Formula One because I do not like NASCAR. Do you like NASCAR? Well, no, I mean, I think that there's a, a world where I could get into it. But I think that now that I've gone into the F1 world, I don't think that I have enough, you know, capacity in my life to watch varying race sports. It's yeah. just not really for me. And oval racing is just not for me. I mean, the thing about over racing is like the races are minimum three hours long. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like on a Sunday, I love two hours is fine, you know, for a little bit of race action. I love it. It's it's beautiful. But when you get to three, sometimes races will go six hours for NASCAR. I just can't like put that much of my Sunday into that. No. But, and there's times during F1 races where you'll have a flag and suddenly you're sitting there for an hour on end, just waiting for them to clean up the track. And even that kind of like gets away from me. But most of the time you can kind of get a race done. And how long does it actually take? Hour 45, generally around two hours. Two hours is actually the maximum like race time limit. If it goes longer than two hours, they just say that whatever lap that they're on is the final lap. But does that have anything to do with the stoppages or does that is that because the cars would be racing slow for some reason? It does have to do with stoppages. So like if there's a red flag, for example, they will extend it okay. past that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so going back to, you know, drive to survive, which is the main reason that anybody know it like nowadays actually cares about F1 realistically. I, you know, I like I said, I would have never thought I would actually like Formula One, but the differences between F1 and NASCAR are so big, and I would have never known that if not for watching the show. Like I said, two hours is a race. Very digestible. Then the cars are actually going around circuits and using their brakes a lot. And I would have never thought saying cars are braking is actually entertaining, mm-hmm. but it's way more entertaining than NASCAR where they do not brake. They, <laughs> they actually just lift. So if you're going around an oval circuit, they're not braking around the corners. They're just lifting their just foot off not, the gas. Not going full gas. Yeah, and then you know, you and I are both... What's the, it's not an Anglophile because it's all of Europe. A Europhile is that a thing? I'll, I'll take that as a thing. I think that's fair. Actually, I think that's something else. 
now that now that I think about that, something not as good. Well, I like European vibes. <laughs> I like European vibes. I'm a longtime Tottenham fan. Mm-hmm. I know you're a Manchester United fan, and I apologize for that. Go on. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to bring that up. So the thing about Drive to Survive, for me, for many other people, is that it turned F1 into a reality TV show that you can also follow as a sport, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the most groundbreaking TV genres of all time. And is why the PGA and tennis are both actually working with Box to Box Films, the producers of Drive to Survive, to make their own TV shows about those sports. And you can see they're even, I mean, I played a clip on, I think, last week's episode of the Sunday Scaries podcast. I did a clip from Make or Break, which is essentially the surfing version on Apple TV+. Plus. That and, looks awesome. I mean, I, I finished the series and it's a great Sunday watch. It's beautiful scenery. It's really entertaining. You learn a lot because, I mean, not that many people know about, you know professional surfing but i mean i had the same kind of i mean i immediately started following these surfers just like i imagine a lot of people just started following these drivers i i i'd been following f1 i guess uh i don't even know when it was i mean verstappen was i'm sorry vettel was on red bull when i was watching for the first time before he went to ferrari and you know the rest is history but even then i had a huge lapse in my viewing until drive to survive came out and then i got i i just got right back into it again Thanks. i would always kind of keep track but i never i really did stop watching for a while you and i have talked you are as far as like f1 is concerned you're an og you were watching <laughs> in like 2011 yeah yeah. I mean, my my friend was overseas. He was stationed overseas and he was big into F1 and he it was a sport that he decided that he was just going to get into. It wasn't like he grew up watching it or anything like that. It was like, no, this is a cool sport. I'm going to get into it. And because he couldn't get race recaps being on, you know, doing what he was doing, I decided that I would just live blog the races to him. And it was the best way to get me in because I could I just had to write about it right away. Yeah. I mean, how did you dive in when you started doing it to to get all? I mean, you know so much now. And you actually, I mean, you have to know a lot or else you get called out for it. How yes. did you, how did you dive in so much further than just watching the series? Yeah. So really when I got into F1, I kind of noticed that there were the established F1 content brands that were making content for existing long-term fans. They were mm-hmm. n- not really explaining concepts. They were just per- announcing like, oh, this strategy, the undercut, the overcut DRS. And like a lot of people don't know what those things are mm-hmm. and thus can't get into F1 or even you know, really take in that F1 content because it's just inaccessible to them. And so I also saw that there were a lot of newer F1 fans who got in from Drive to Survive really playing into the more like meme culture side of it. Like, you know, people meme reality TV shows all the time. Drive to Survive is a reality TV show. Mm -hmm. So I really saw that there's a way you can bridge those two things together, right? You can bridge the gap between the new and old F1 fans and the content they take in. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do with Formula Bone, where it's, it's comedic, it's lighthearted and it's I try to make it pretty simplified and accessible to new fans and old fans alike, while also remaining, you know, very authentic and making it clear, like I'm not an expert. Like I like I said, I've only been watching Formula One since last year, I'm, which that alone gave me definitely some imposter syndrome, because, yes, when my video started to blow up, kind of, I'd say near the end of last year, you know, I have 100,000 plus followers on TikTok, 130K as of today. I think I just hit that. And you know, sometimes I'll look at that and go, these people think I'm some expert. I'm not. I'm this new fan. I've only been watching for like a year. I, I feel like I shouldn't be doing this. Um, but I think, you know, part of the whole brand is to get new fans into the sport. And I think new fans seeing a new fan making content and doing all this research and getting super into the sport 
shows these new fans that it's okay to be a new fan. Yeah. There's there's well, only the only way you can become a fan is being a new fan first. Well, you I mean, I see a lot of the comments on your TikTok of people being like, thank you so much for this video. This just explained so well to me. And like it kind of makes me like I get like pumped for you when I see that because I mean, I'm one of those people too. I knew, I know the certain rules, but I mean, things change so fast in F1 that it is hard to keep up if you're not really paying attention, doing your research and figuring it out. And so just having that digestible stuff from you makes it so much easier on someone like me who has been watching for, you know, 10 years on and off. But I mean, you have done a very good job of bridging that gap. And I honestly, thank you, Jared. <laughs> like, you you're have, welcome. Your, your content has made me... Uh, able to ask or to answer questions that people ask me in public when they start talking about F1. And I say, oh, yeah, I've been watching for a while now. And then they're like, OK, well, like, how does DRS work? Why do they change the tires all the time? Tires with a Y, all these kind of things. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, well, I I, I don't know the actual answers. To yeah, this. Hey, I very much appreciate that. It's, like I said, that's why I do it. But also you get me through my Sundays. So it's it's mutually beneficial. We're just making stuff for each other. Well, if if people are wanting to get into F1, what's the best gateway drug that isn't the, isn't drive to survive? Yeah. So. I would always say Drive to Survive. Yeah. Like if, if you've not seen it and you want to get into F1, Drive to Survive is the thing that has gotten me into it. It's gotten so many people into it. And it gives you just like this framework and knowledge about the sport and the drivers that makes it so you could instantly watch a race and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But if you need a little bit of a drug before you commit to watching four seasons of a reality TV show, I would say Rush, the movie, mm -hmm. is very popular. Um, and then there's two documentaries, one called Schumacher about Michael Schumacher and one called Senna, about Ayrton Senna, two of the like F1 drivers that are in the GOAT debate. Yes. I say definitely check those out. Um, those, are, those are good. Are you allowed to say who you're a fan of? Okay. There's this crazy like battle that goes in the comment section. If I ever compliment Lewis, yeah. all the comments are like, oh, you freaking biased Lewis fan, you stink. And if I ever compliment Max, all the comments are, oh, you biased Max fan, you stink. I am a neutral F1 fan. I will say that forever. I'm a neutral F1 fan. I'm not going to pick sides because once you pick sides, you can't make the content as good as possible. I obviously like, I like all the drivers. There are some I like more than others. Do you that at I least have for. a soft spot when you see someone like Checo take a podium oh, or yeah. something like that? Yeah. There, there's no drivers I, I dislike now that Mazbin's out of the okay. sport. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm always rooting for Yuki. Um, if you watched the most recent season of Drive Survive, Yuki Sonoda might be the funniest athlete in the world. And I had no idea about that until watching Drive Survive. Love him. Uh, Valtteri Bottas. Yes. Phenomenal. Yes. Big Valtteri guy. Um, yeah, I mean, th all the drivers are very likable in their own ways. There are some that are a little more milk toast. But even then, like you can find ways to humanize them and find like, oh, they're not just this stiff, like they actually have a personality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I have my favorites, but I'll keep those to myself for now. We're going to get to your like some Sunday questions towards the end of this episode. But from start to finish, assuming you have no work responsibilities, okay. what would your F1 morning routine look like? OK, I've always said this. I am not a morning person at all. And this stems from in high school. I had to wake up at 530 every morning and ever since I left, I was like, I'm not going to be a morning person ever again. So there are two exceptions to that. One is a tea time. I can always wake up for a tea time, whether it's ball golf or real golf, aka disc golf. Okay. Sorry. I just had to piss everybody off with that one. <laughs> and also formula one races. So the second my alarm goes off in the morning, I am energized. I'm ready to go. Cause I know the second that you hear that formula one theme song, mm -hmm. my heart races i can that theme song that they have is unbelievable they got the montage that goes so i wake up 10 minutes before the race every time 
Can't wake up earlier. Not a morning person. Go right to the bathroom as fast as I can. Go to the TV. I have the F1 TV app, which if if it's good, it's solid. You can also usually watch the races on ESPN. Not have to pay more money if you already have ESPN. Put it on. Uh, I always try to put it on before they do the intro because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I'll just play the intro on my phone to pump me up. Okay. I like uh, that. So if I remember, I will schedule the coffee maker the night before so that I'll have a fresh pot of joe. Wow. must be nice to have the scheduled coffee pot. Uh, I usually forget yeah. and I just do an espresso. <laughs> have to have a fleece blanket on me because my fiance keeps the apartment at 67 degrees. That's perfect. It's, it's perfect temperature. Uh, I don't know. I'm that. a 68 degree guy. Okay. So, I mean, you know. Uh, I'm cold blooded. Yeah, I guess so. And then I live tweet the race at Formula Bone, not to plug myself too hard. You're allowed to. And then the best part is enjoying the rest of the day because I've woken up. I've had a very enjoyable morning watching my favorite sport to watch. And then I have I'm up before I would have already been up. And it feels like I've been up for hours because my heart's been pumping. You feel accomplished. It's almost like you ran errands and did stuff like that's part of the reason I love European sports in the morning on weekends, because it gets me up. It gets my like juices flowing. And then I can go about my day as if nothing ever happened. It's perfect. This weekend, we have one of the most... I think there are two very Sunday Scaries venues that F1 visits every year. One of which is this weekend in Monaco. Can you guess the other one? Sunday Scaries ones. I mean, I would say... This is a hard question. It, so I would say there's two... Uh, my two guesses would be the US GP. Well, that one too. But Abu Dhabi? Uh, I would say the Red Bull Ring. I love the trees surrounding it. I just love the vibe of the entire race. It's just so aesthetically pleasing to me from just the tree standpoint everywhere. I just love it. Until they bring back the, uh, was it the Hockenheim ring? Is that the one that goes literally through a forest? It cuts through a forest. I'll take it. Either side? I'll take it. Yeah. So we have Monaco this weekend. It's probably one of, it's, is it the most sacred venue in F1? It is. It is. Um, Why? So, okay. It's interesting because as a lot of people know, the race at Monaco is not the draw. Correct. Right. So the two main draws for the Monaco Grand Prix are the history of the race. It was first run in 1929. Very, very long time ago. And this weekend will be the 79th running of it. So it took 15 years off ever since 1929. Very historic race. One of the most historic motorsport races in the world, along with the Indianapolis 500 and the 24 hours of Le Mans endurance race. It makes up the quote unquote triple crown of motorsport will you ever I, i'm going to take a quick break for yes. monaco will you ever get into the le mans and cover that at all i have a lot of friends who are into it uh it's 24 hours long if i, if I think a nascar race is too long that seems like a bit much yeah i got excited a couple of years ago because i was i was just you know scrolling through the television i saw that it was on and i was like oh it's real early and then the next day i turned it back on i was like oh we're still rolling right now this is great i'm having yeah. fun i have a, i have a friend who races in the virtual one where you and your friends take shifts. You like every six hours, That's you great. get onto the computer and get into the car. And then you have to like actually do like pit stops and change drivers and stuff. That's I, it's sad yeah. that I would do that. It, it's <laughs> it looks insane. Imagine yeah. driving a six hour shift in a sim rake. You literally can't fun. get out of the car. It's like doing a road trip where you can't even go pee. It sounds kind of fun. It'd be fun to get the guys together and just like just go hang out. I mean, yeah, have if, a beer. Too. If, yes, except for all the guys would have to be good at actually sim racing or else you'd get like way last place. And it'd just be like, why don't we just road trip to like Vegas? Yeah, we should have done something this. else. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the history of Monaco. That's one big draw. And then there's obviously the reason why you think it's a very Sunday scariest race. The luxury 
that accompanies it. Ooh, the coast and the coastal vibes, yes. just everything about it. Monaco is one of the bougiest, poshest uh, countries in the world. Monte Carlo being the city, which is there even another city in Monaco? I, I, to be honest, I think a lot of people just learned that Monte Carlo is the city in Monaco because like I, I think a lot of people just think that it's just Monaco. There, there can't be another city. It's so small. Yeah, it's tiny. It's, it's like a square mile or something. <sighs> I mean, there's like no one that even I mean, not that many people even live there. Oh, the crazy thing about the people who do is that over 30% of Monaco's residents are millionaires. Must be nice. Another Monaco fun fact. If you are a resident of Monaco, you are not allowed to gamble in the casinos. Really? Yep. It Why? Is for, I don't know. If you are a resident, you can. But if you're a citizen, you can't. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've watched a few videos of like what it's like to live in Monaco. And this is from like, but it's it's from the super rich perspective. So it's kind of just like a, it's it, it doesn't hold any weight when it comes yeah. to our actual lives or us going to Monaco. Yes. I mean, the, the the part of it, I think part of the, the reason why people absolutely love watching the race is solely because of the scenery and looking at the yachts next to everything. Oh, my God. The yachts are incredible. These just massive, massive mega yachts, all the richest people in the world. And it's like it's weird because. A lot of times you look at that wealth and like you're kind of like, oh, they suck. Yeah. But there's something about the European wealth in mm -hmm. Monaco that's like that's kind of a vibe. Or when you see your favorite driver, you know, maybe crash out of the race and just walk straight to a yacht instead of going back to, you know, the pits. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's some people's experience. <laughs> Um, I mean, like you just mentioned, Monaco doesn't always live up to the actual hype of the race because it, it's difficult to pass, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And so, so yeah. like, why why should why should we care about? I mean, I know you said the historical context and stuff like that. What do we have to look forward to? OK, so in terms of watching the race, I mean, all the crowd shots are going to be amazing. The mm -hmm. beautiful, beautiful scenery. I mean, the the wealth that's there, it's it's like the Miami Grand Prix was like Monaco light, right? It was showing Michael Jordan's there. David Beckham's there. Like the people that hopefully if the broadcast team does a good job that we're going to see is going to be very exciting. It's like a it's like a Oscars red carpet situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the race. Don't a lot of F1, not a lot, but a, a select few F1 drivers actually live in Monaco these days. Right? Yeah, a lot of them do. Leclerc, Verstappen. I don't know who else. Uh, Lando Norris lives there. I mean, a lot of them do because it's a tax haven. Exactly. That's literally, and, and they're not quiet about it. They're like, yeah, I can, I can, there's no inheritance tax either. So mm -hmm. when you, you pass away, you just give your kids everything. Yeah. Nothing gets taken off there. It's, it is the world's biggest tax haven, which is part of the reason why 30% of its residents yeah. are millionaires. And, I mean, and living in the place where the most prestigious race is, I mean, it kind of, it, it would draw you in, I think, yeah. at least a little bit. And so I would say that the other biggest draw really, because the race is, you know, not going to live up. So don't get your expectations high for the race, but get them high for qualifying. Because qualifying yes. is the reason why you'll be most excited to watch the Monaco Grand Prix. And that is on Saturday, not Sunday. Yes. And I think when it comes to qualifying, I enjoy watching qualifying no matter what. Uh, but I don't hesitate to skip it if I have something better to do. When it comes to Monaco, qualifying is probably the thing that you need to watch first and foremost. Yes, because so the way that F1 works, if you're not familiar, is that qualifying, the cars do the fastest lap they possibly can across three rounds. And if you are fast enough, you make it out of that round to go to the next round. And wherever you land with your fastest lap is the position that you start uh, on the grid for the Grand Prix. So for qualifying... It doesn't matter that you can't overtake because you're not trying to overtake. You're trying to just go around the circuit as fast as possible. And that's why Monica qualifying is extremely exciting because you're going, you're watching these cars finagle their way through this really historic city, this beautiful city going really, really, really fast, trying not to hit walls, going through these crazy crowds. The one section in the harbor literally, well, first off, you go through this tunnel 
one of the craziest turns in all of Formula One. You literally go through a tunnel for a while. It's the opening scene of Schumacher, if you ever watched that documentary. And you come out of the tunnel and you go through this crazy, crazy turn where you have to turn really, really hard left, then really, really hard right, then back left in order to not crash and in order to get the fastest lap possible. And then the cars drive for like a mile by all these mega yachts, literally right next to them. Monaco is the reason that I retired from playing the F1 video game. Oh my God. I had such a difficult time conquering Monaco that I just finally said, you know what? I've gotten far enough in this game. I'm going to move on to some other game. Yeah. And it is that the exact turn that you described. And it's, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like lame. I, don't, I'm, I have no comparison to F1 drivers, but playing the video game itself made me realize all that goes into it. And you're not just trying to go as fast as possible. It, it makes you realize like the value of pitting, the value of tires, the value of everything. And like going and racing in Monaco, it's like, okay, yeah, I can see how these guys might have a harder time passing, have a harder time just finishing. I mean, there's, I think there's two instances where only four cars finish the race or something in Monaco just because, I mean, it can just get dicey. Yeah, it gets, there's usually going to be a safety car, which is if somebody crashes, uh, and, but the track is still accessible, they'll just, the cars go behind the safety car, which they go slow behind while they clear up the crash. I mean, but if it's a bad enough crash, they'll have to red flag the race because in Monaco is very, one of the most narrow circuits in formula one again, because it's in an old city. Yeah. So if there is a crash, a lot of times they do have to, I mean, safety car for sure, but like a red flag if the car is taking up over half of the track. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, talking about how narrow the track is, you know, I love to do F1 facts, F1 history. Can I give you a little fact here? Please. So I think we need to look at why the race does not live up to the venue in the modern era. And it's because the layout has not changed. Yeah. Okay. So the Circuit de Monaco's layout remains largely unchanged. They've changed a few things, uh, added a couple of chicanes to make it a little more exciting, but almost the exact same circuit that the cars raced at in 1950 for the first Formula One race. Because like I said, 1929 was the first Monaco Grand Prix, but 1950 was the first year that the Formula One World Championship actually okay. occurred. So back in 1950, the cars were 12 feet long and four and a half feet wide. Okay. Nowadays, the cars are 19 feet long, so seven feet longer and six and a half feet wide, so two feet wider, going through the same incredibly, incredibly narrow streets. So there's way less room for you to jockey for position, to overtake. Last year's Monaco Grand Prix will had one overtake. That's not what race fans want to hear. It was, and it was also Mick Schumacher passing Nikita Mazepin on the first lap. And a lot of statisticians for F1 don't count first lap overtakes because it's more indicative of the start that the drivers got than it is about actually how the circuit is performing. Yeah. So a lot of people say there was not a single overtake at last year's Monaco Grand Prix. Well, what do we have to look forward to this year if we don't don't have to look forward to uh, any overtakes? Okay. I have three storylines to follow. Okay. So even if you're not an F1 fan, you can take these storylines, maybe watch your first F1 race this weekend. The first one is is a crazy one. This is the biggest story of the weekend. It is Charles Leclerc's Monaco curse. I can already tell, as I know you're a Leclerc guy, you said you weren't going to admit it earlier. You're a Leclerc guy, right? Uh, no. Really? I, I'm not anti-Leclerc. I don't necessarily cheer for him, but if, if, he is at, if he is doing well, I'm not upset by okay. any means. I'm not upset by any means. What a hot man. Yeah, I mean, they, Ferrari right now just has a hot team. If we're being honest, I, w- I would put them up with maybe the hottest F1 driver lineup of all time. Yeah. I mean, they're both really good looking. And the fact that they're just like good friends or I mean, appears to be good friends. Who knows? 
uh, I, it, they're a very likable team right now. Oh, incredibly. I would say in terms of likable teams, people love McLaren. Uh, Daniel Ricardo, most likable F1 driver. Even if you don't watch F1, you probably know Daniel Ricardo is at this point. Mm-hmm. And he does a very good job of playing up the crowds in any venue that he's racing. Yes. I mean, there's a reason that he wears a cowboy hat when he's in Texas. And I, I don't even know what he does in other places, but I know that he plays it up. He did a minute long Ace Ventura impersonation in Miami. <laughs> Did he actually? It's so good. I have to admit, J-Bone, as much as I uh, do watch F1, this season has been one of my worst viewing seasons for no other reason than I've just been busy. And I've missed so much. Well, you have a child. I do have a child now, but unfortunately, I mean, he's not even the reason. I think, think if anything, having a child keeps you home so you can watch more of this kind of stuff. That's true, actually. Yeah. And you're probably already awake at 6 a.m. for some of the races. Correct, yeah. So Charlotte Claire's curse, uh, apparently some warlock made it to his way to Monaco and just cast a spell on him because Charlotte Claire has raced at Monaco five times in his professional career. Will mm-hmm. twice in the you know feeder league, three times in F1. He is 0 for five in finishing any of those races. <laughs> and, I, and I mean, he has never crossed the finish line in five times in his career where he's raced at his home Grand Prix in Monaco. That's tough. It's not ideal for him. Yeah. Last year was very heartbreaking. He was on pole position, so he was going to start the race in front. And at Monaco, the person who starts the race in front more often than not wins the race because it's so hard to overtake there. Yeah. Well, his car broke down literally on its way to the starting line. Like not like before the race, not during the race. His car was came out of the pits, was driving to the starting line, and broke down. Yeah, he's cursed. Sorry. Can you believe that? He, oh, and the and the <laughs> kicker is those are just the five times he's crashed there in his professional career. Earlier this month. There was an exhibition in Monaco where people drive around historic Formula One cars, mm-hmm. and he crashed a old Ferrari historic car because the brakes failed. I saw this. I didn't know why he was driving that car. I figured it was just for some kind of marketing ploy or something like that. But yeah, I saw that he crashed the classic car, and I just thought, like, you know what? Maybe maybe he just needs to take this one off. He just can't even cross the finish line in an exhibition. <laughs> There's no pressure. I mean, that one's not his fault. It was brake failure. But some people think that right there was the curse ending. Because he had a bad luck, but it didn't happen in a race. Did you think he might have intentionally crashed the uh, classic car to, to break the curse? Well, there's a video of the brakes exploding. Oh, okay. uh, so, so no. So no <laughs> I, probably not. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. So that's the first storyline. And he is I, he might be favored to win. I actually think he is. I was going to ask you, but I wasn't sure if you'd looked at the odds or not. But I, yeah, I was going to ask you if the odds reflected his bad luck in the past. I, I actually think he's favored right now. Okay. Um, but the guy who is definitely second favorite, if not first, is Max Verstappen who is going for his fourth win in a row. He has never done it before in his career. He got three wins in a row last year. Uh, and that's four wins in a row this season, not not in Monaco. N- yes, correct. correct. Four wins in a row this season. Uh, he's on a very hot streak right now. He's been on fire, but his car has been less than reliable. He did win last race, but his car had a pretty big issue that could have impacted him. He would have definitely not won had Charlotte Leclerc's car not finished the race mm-hmm. last race, which was absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Max Verstappen could go for four in a row. That's definitely a big storyline to watch for. Max versus Leclerc has been the fight all season long. Yeah. If nothing else, all you need to know is Max or Leclerc. You can pick a side. That's a fun way to watch, even if you don't really know F1 that well. I like riding with Max. Max guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Uh, Max gets a lot of hate, and I will say he does not deserve the hate. Okay. 
That's refreshing to hear, J-Bone. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not going to pick, I'm not picking favorites, but I do like Max. I like Lewis as well. Yeah. I, again, like I do choose Max if I'm going Max versus Lewis, but like watching Lewis drive and watching what Lewis has done in his career is awesome. Yes. And, and oh my gosh. I will never actually, like if I make fun of Lewis or if I make any slights towards him, it's not because I actually dislike the guy. Like I have the utmost respect for him. And it's just one of the, this is just one of those sports where like having the rivalry is a necessity, but I don't necessarily hate the people that are in the rivalry together. Yeah, I completely agree. And this season's rivalry, as I said, is Max versus Leclerc. But last race, Mercedes had a huge step forward. They brought some upgrades. Their car that they have had has not been very good. They had amazing upgrades last week. There's a chance that this could turn into a three-way battle between Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. Sign me up. Yeah, I. we all want that. We all want that. The last little storyline to follow is that the uh, new tires this year, they went from, I believe, 13 inches to 18 inches. Could really impact this race because Monaco is so narrow that mm-hmm. there are some turns that now because, number one, the tires are way bigger in diameter, but also they added in these new things called overwheel winglets that go on top of the wheels. So now... The drivers are like, what, two and a half inches higher and their vision is obstructed by these winglets and they need to go through very tight corners like that chicane you and I talked about that you suck at in the video game. We could easily see some crashes because I was watching some people like do sim racing in it and it's like there are multiple corners now that are just blind. Yeah. Like you need to know the track and know where to turn in because you can't see the apex because the wheels are so big and the overwheel winglets block your view. Uh-huh. Like, we'll get some excitement. Hopefully some safe excitement. Yeah, this could be this. And it might rain on Sunday. Okay, sign so me up. If it rains and with these tire changes, this could be one of the most chaotic Monaco Grand Prix in a very long time. That sounds like sign me up. I'm yes. in. So those are your storylines to follow. Well, Jared, let's round things out today with some classic Sunday Scaries questions about how you spend your Sundays. The first What's your ideal Sunday outfit? Okay. Uh, usually, I'm an outdoor voices shorts kind of guy. Okay. In winter, I'll go for the uh, Lululemon joggers okay. that I'm currently wearing, actually. But usually, outdoor voices shorts. I'm actually currently wearing Lululemon. I'm sorry. I'm currently wearing a pair of outdoor voices shorts that I just purchased. Oh. Yeah, look at us. I also go no shirt. Oh, really? If I'm on the shirt- couch. So when you're, when you're live tweeting the races, you're shirtless. Shirtless, yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I think it's just the way I grew up. Shirtless on the couch, Sunday, watch cartoons. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not opposed to that. What's your go-to guilty pleasure television show? Do you know what I'm going to say? No. I mean, after you say it, I might say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Burn notice. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) But it's not really a guilty pleasure. The only guilt I have is that other people shame me for it. Yeah. You actually think burn notice is like the best show ever created. I think burn notice is behind Formula One, the greatest thing you can watch. (laughs) That's a take that literally no one has. No one has burn no- or F1 burn notice the rest. And then professional disc golf is third. Okay. Let's go to the next Shouts question. Shouts to Jomez Pro. And, and Paul. And Paul. What's your go-to hangover cure? Liquid IV. Really? Actually, yeah. I'm a huge liquid IV hangover guy. This is a non-spawned episode, but I mean, as a as you know, a podcast that has Liquid IV as a sponsor, you always love to hear that. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm not going to lie; I'm the exact same way. It's become very much a part of my hungover rotation, and I don't think it's going anywhere. Any favorite flavors? Uh, so, what I like to do is I make a Miami Vice by mixing the strawberry with the really? pina colada. Yeah, I've been I've been very into the Concord Grape lately. That one's solid. 
Oh, the, the fact that they called it Concord Grape instead of just Grape is a very nice touch. The marketing team there is so good. Yeah. Like I will say the Pina Colada they have now, it originally was introduced as the Kygo Pina Colada. Yeah. For some reason, the Kygo made it taste better. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's not a lot of uh, hydration stick companies out there collaborating with DJs. Exactly. You like to see it. There's not even a lot of hydration stick companies out there <laughs> to begin with. Jared, what self-care have you practiced lately? So I have this year gotten extremely into reading books. Ooh. You think you're better than us, Jared? Because you're <laughs> reading books know. now? A little bit. No. So my big thing was this. I Every single hobby I have is digital, I realized, minus disc golf. So uh, even even when I work out, like I Peloton. Exactly. And then I have a TV screen in front of me. So I'm like, I'm trying to have one hobby that I can unplug with, and it has been reading books. Uh, some books I've read this year. read Ready Player One. Great book. I read the Payne Stewart biography about the golfer Payne Stewart. Really good. I, I, I'm very interested in that one. Oh, so good. And then uh, The Queen's Gambit. Okay. And I'm currently reading a book that you, well, I want to say you recommended it to me, but you didn't directly, but The Old Man in the Sea. Yeah. I know yep. you read it. So I read that on vacation uh, over Christmas me. and uh, people criticize me saying it's not a vacation book. I would disagree. I very much enjoyed reading it on vacation. Were you by the water? Uh, I was in San Diego. We did, we were kind of, you know, off the coast, but yeah. we were cl- we were close enough to the water that I kind of enjoyed it. Don't spoil the ending. I'm at the part where the old man's at the sea. He's in the sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I won't go any further than that. No, I won't go any further than that. Jared, what's on your bedside table? Uh, way too much crap. Wait, I, every time I hear Sunday Scaries and you talk about bedside tables, I look at mine and I'm ashamed. That's, I mean, that's, that's what I like about people's bedside tables is that it shows what type of person they are. I've got, I've got my book. Mm-hmm. I've got my Yeti, uh, t- my Yeti that I drink my water out of at home. I've got this like weird orb lamp that I used to read from that I got from some French guy when he was moving out of my old apartment complex. And then it's usually like sand spurs I pick off my dog. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You need a container for those. So they're not just sitting. out. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Don't put them in your Yeti. And finally, Jared, what does your ideal Sunday consist of? Well, if I was to pick an ideal Sunday, it is probably a 6 a.m. F1 race. Okay. So that because like I said, I'm getting up at 6 a.m., but it doesn't feel like I'm getting up at 6 a.m. Yeah. Because I'm energized. Mm-hmm. Race is done at eight. I'm fully awake, ready to attack the day at eight. I can do whatever I want. I'll probably go to Summer Moon Coffee, my favorite coffee shop, get myself a nice six shot espresso like a complete lunatic yeah it's too uh, much go walk my dog on the lake and at that point it's like what 2 p.m that's why i love early f1 races and then i'll probably just lay shirtless on the couch for the rest of the day i mean jared i, I don't want to give you this much credit but i have to you're you're you have good food takes thank you and i didn't prep you for this question you have any sunday recipes you've made lately that i need to uh, go check out um Primal Gourmet is a great influencer to follow. Yep. A lot of like, he does a lot of like Whole30, Paleo uh, stuff. His Picadillo recipe. Okay. He does it with like fried plantains, which I don't have a plantain guy. If you know yeah. a plantain guy, DM me. I need a plantain guy. But I I usually just eat it with, you know, I just eat it as it is because it's so good. Or I usually, I like to crack an egg in there and Ooh. heat it up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But yeah, Primal Gourmet. Great person to follow. Well, Jared, before we get out of here, please plug every single way that somebody can take in your content on F1 race days. So if you enjoyed the facts that I dropped here about the Monaco Grand Prix, I have a whole 22-ish minute Monaco Grand Prix preview podcast that you can watch on YouTube right now, or you can get it wherever 
you listen to your podcast, wherever you're currently ingesting. Is that the, yeah, ingesting Something Sunday like Scaries. Yes. Yeah. Wherever you're currently ingesting Sunday Scaries right now, there's a Formula Bone Monaco preview where you can take in in that same exact platform. You can follow me on TikTok at Formula Bone. Just hit 130K. Huge for me. I'm going to go celebrate with one of those Summer Moon copies. Um, and then on Twitter, you can follow me at Formula Bone as well. At Formula Bone everywhere. My personal Instagram and Twitter is at Jared Borislow. Will, thank you so much for having me here. Jared, of course. This is so enjoyable. Can't wait for Monaco this weekend. And everybody else, I hope you enjoy your weekend. I hope you maybe sprinkle a little F1 into your Sunday routines. We'll see you guys next Sunday. <laughs>